There are kids who do phenomenal when it comes to their math and science, but say spelling is really hard for them or reading is hard for them. They could be dyslexic or just intertramposing that some of the letters are difficult for them. My next guest is Eugene's wife, or should I say my next guest, husband is Eugene. <laughs> I don't know which, whichever way works, works for you, whichever floats your boat. <laughs> but I've known her as well as her husband for 20 years, had their children in my program, and her son, I have to, I tell you a real quick story. I was in a class, and my program's a gymnastics program, but it's basically a confidence building program. I just use gymnastic skills as the vehicle, but I'm really working with how they think. A little girl in there said something inappropriate to me, and when she did, Cherise and Eugene's son looked over, and said under his breath, he said, uh-oh, because he knew I was about to come down on this little girl with the wrath of Mr. Lee. Anyway, let's meet our next guest, Cherie. Cherie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. It's wonderful. Let's start off with where you were born. I was born in Inglewood, California. You've told me this before, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have a, I, my my um, nephew lives in Inglewood. But we only stay there for a year, and then we moved to Seattle, Washington. So you went upstate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What made that happen? Do your mom and dad stay together the whole time when you grew up? No, and that's why we ended up leaving, because my parents got divorced when I was one, and my mom needed a little bit more support, and the support was back home in Seattle, Washington. Where she grew up? Right. Okay. And huh. we actually rented the house next door to my grandparents. Okay. So that when she had to go to work, our grandparents could be next door and check in on us, and then we would go over there when we came home from school and so forth. Siblings? I have two older brothers. That's what you told me. You grew up in the, how many years between you and the oldest? Six. So not so close then? Not so close. Same, and then another brother that's in the middle, three. So we were all three. So three, three, three. Three, three, three. three. Yeah. But are you close now? Were you close growing up? Not, not really. Not necessarily. You couldn't be. Nah, no, no, no. Uh, my older brother was, when my parents got divorced, obviously he was you know, more formidable, so seven. He resented my mom for the fact that, they, she, that she was taking him away from our dad. So he was very angry growing up, very, very angry. So it was really hard to kind of connect with him. And it wasn't until he went to the military at age 18, and he came back a different person. You told me you went to the Air Force. Yeah. No. How old is your brother now? Chuck is 50, 56, he'll be 57. He came, in, he came in just, the Air Force was still, so growing up, what was it like for you? I mean, your father, did you ever get to visit with your father? Your um, no, my father was pretty absent pretty much through it all. He, he had nine siblings, I believe, maybe 10. And he was number what? He was number two, I believe. Okay. So he was one of the older ones. From where? Um, California. He was born and raised in L.A.? Yeah. Well, I guess he could. Is your father still well? Is he doing okay? He passed, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. Okay. But, no, I think, that, no, that would be correct. I've been just thinking of something else. So, yeah, about seven or eight years ago. Okay. And we only, so basically, out of the siblings, I would say that there was three or four that made sure that they stayed in contact with us so that we, they did not lose connection. Aunts and uncles. Yeah. On his side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But not with him. And they knew that, which is why they made an effort to make sure that we stayed. Did he get married? I'm just being all in your business, but That's I'm just okay. curious. No, he That's got okay. married even three more times. 
and your mother was the first mother was the first and then the second one um, he had three kids you know um, them I do I actually got the same situation he then they got divorced he was absentee and I was kind of glad just talking with them um, because they still lived in LA so he would say yeah I'm coming over to come visit I'm gonna come over and I'm gonna pick you up and I'm gonna come over the empty promises and he never showed up and so we would talk about stories and they said and it was really, it's really sad when you think about it. They said, I almost wish I was in your situation to where I didn't even have any contact with them because my hopes kept getting up and they kept getting diminished when he wouldn't show up. And it's just, I'd rather him not be a part of my life instead of me hoping for something that was never gonna come. Was he in the service? Was he ever in the service? Um, I don't, no, he was not, because he was a carpenter. I was a carpenter, <laughs> but I was in the service. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Not being a company doesn't stop from anyway. Right. Yeah. So. And he was born and raised in L.A., mm -hmm. which is rare. Mm -hmm. Most people were, would come to L.A. from outside, like mm -hmm. my father right. was from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. When they had that mass exodus from the South after World War II, yeah. black men particularly went either up north, right. east coast, or went to the west. Yep. And my father went to Los Angeles from mm -hmm. Louisiana. My grandfather. Was, did the um, same thing? Yeah, he did that? he was, uh, I think, Louisiana, I think is what it was. Or Carolinas, one of the two. Okay. Yeah, got it. Okay, so growing up yes. in Seattle, what was mm -hmm. it like for you? Were you? What type of child were you? I mean, I've, single mother? Yep. She, did she stay that way the whole time? She did. She never remarried. She had, that was enough? Pretty much, and just knowing, just raising kids full time and wanting to do the best for us. And she never spoke ill will of our father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like, and what purpose does it serve? Right. It doesn't do any, any good. No. And we have to trust that kids are smart enough on their own. They'll and that eventually they're going to figure it They'll out. They'll figure it out. And figure out, well, hey, how come my dad isn't here? Mm -hmm. Right? And so through that process, we just knew, like, he's not there. Mom's doing the best she can. We have our other family, which is my mom's side, with the other aunts that are pulling through and had plenty of cousins growing up. On this up. side. So, yeah. you had, so you never felt alone? No. No, yeah, not that. at all. Family was everything. So were you academic or more sports-minded as a little girl? A little bit both. Okay. A little bit both. Um, academics didn't come as easy for me like it did Eugene. He is a brainiac. He doesn't want to say it, but... I can tell. Yeah. I can tell that, he's, but I didn't want to... He know. skipped a grade. He didn't tell you that. That's why. <laughs> you know, so that's good. That's good, Eugene, but also it's bad in a way. You know why? Because mentally you could be okay, but emotionally and physically you were the weakest one always. One year makes a big difference when you, what grade did you skip? Eight? Oh, so you got a little, so you had enough time actually going through with people the same strength as you and everything. Because my father, the reason why I say that, my father put me in school a year early. Mm -hmm. And I still feel it. Mm -hmm. I was always weaker and I was always emotionally immature compared to everybody else. That's why we uh, put Kayla in a year later. I did that with all my boys. Mm -hmm. Makes a huge difference. Makes a, big di makes a big difference. They, they, they grew up as leaders. Because they're the biggest in the class always, yeah, and no yeah, more, yeah. stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you were a brainiac too. Um, you were. Come on. I don't call myself a brainiac, but well, I no, call Eugene myself didn't call himself one either. True, true. <laughs> but but I had to study a lot. Let's okay. just say, and just knowing your environment, especially as we were growing up and being in that single household, that was when you know the affiliation of gangs were starting to make their presence, right? And teenage pregnancy was a huge issue. So it was just like, what path do you want to go on? And you got to be really cognizant of that. And math path was 
I'm not ready to be a bomb at the age of 16, that's for sure. Definitely don't want to be a part of a gang. I just got to stay focused. So my focus is going to be academics and it's going to be sports. And that way it doesn't leave any other time or any penetration for outside forces to come in and kind of stack me when you know this is my set goals is where I got to be. Was your mom really religious? We were uh, Catholic, we were raised Catholic. Okay. And that's based upon because on my mother's, uh, my grandmother's side, my mother's side, she was a Spanish-American war bride. I know, and so she was Filipino, so my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. This is your grandmother? My great-great-grandmother. Great-great-grandmother, yeah. Filipino. Yep. War brat, okay, gotcha, yep. okay. Yep, yep, and they um, came over and they had settled in Seattle. Ballard, of all places, and Ballard's a very white, white area, so the fact that they settled there was pretty astounding. Um, and then we actually were the first Filipino family in the city of Seattle. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Going through school, you start to find your way and in high school, you had sports and you had your academics. Mm -hmm. What did you like academically that you were really focusing on in high school? Um, I love the histories, that's what I really like. So I like the reading and writing. Math and science did not come easy for me. So we're completely opposite in that regard. So right. yeah, those are my strengths. And sports? Sports, I did um, soccer, basketball, and track. Basketball, I kind of started in high school. So you did it for just the fun, to, have, to be active, to get to know people and just have fun. My sports sport that I truly love was um, soccer and definitely could have gone farther with it, but you know, they, in order for you to be recognized, you had to play those select sports. And as a single mom, A, costs, right? And then trying to get to those destinations for practice and then for those tournaments and so forth, it just wasn't feasible. So therefore, an opportunity for a scholarship and our opportunity to get to that next level was harder to achieve. Mm. So what did you do after, in high school, when you found out the subjects you really liked, what did you decide to do? So then um, I thought I wanted to go into communication because I enjoyed public speaking, I enjoyed just engaging. So I then went to Washington State University because uh, Edward R. Murrell Communication is one of the great schools for Washington State University. But sadly, within College, unfortunately, like your first two years are your prerequisites. So you don't even get into your core classes and using until you hit your third year, your junior year. So by the time I'm in your third year and I'm starting taking these classes, it's kind of like, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> so. Well, well, you didn't get a chance to speak or do anything? You had no way to do what you enjoyed doing during those first two years? You can take like ge your general oral communication classes, right. but it's not what it is when you get into your core of like your public speaking and when you get into those core content classes and you really dive into what those um, content is. Mm -hmm. And then over the summers, I would just work the best I can. And one of the programs I did was working with students and kids. It was summer camp and I fell in love with it. As a tutor? No, as a tutor. Tutors. We were just like, we were just camp counselors. Okay, so we okay, were just right. engaging with the kids, being with them all day, just having fun with them. And I thought, okay, maybe this is what I need to do. So decided I would switch my major and go into um, elementary ed. But then when you do elementary ed, and it has changed a lot since that time frame as far as how they're structuring the programs and what the prerequisites are. Give me some content. examples real quick. So at notice. the time, you could just do elementary ed and you could still get your teaching credentials at the time. But you still have to do your internship. Okay, well if I'm at Washington State, which is in Pullman, the eastern portion of Washington State, which is very rural, and I knew I wanted to work with more inner city youth, there aren't a lot of inner city youth in Pullman. So I said, okay, so how's that gonna help me when I need to then job search and promote myself as far as the kind of areas that I need to work with? So um, if I had stayed at Washington State, I would have gotten my elementary ed and I would have had my teaching endorsement and I'd have been great. 
then I decided, no, I think I probably should back, go back over to the, the west side where I can work in inner city youth. So therefore, let me just transfer to the UW and then I can do the same thing and be done. Okay, so I'm a junior right now, right? So hopefully you're only looking at one more year. Yeah, Washington State and UW do not share the same prerequisites. So whatever prerequisites I had done at Washington State, not all transferred over to UW. So I had to add a whole nother year onto my credentials. Like I had to take another year of geography. I had to do more foreign language. I had to do another psych class. And you and did it. Oh, well, yeah, because I'm like, I'm committed. So I got to finish this up. So I just decided I'm going to take summer courses. I'm going to try and get it done. And then through that process, that's when they changed and said, oh, no, no. Now you got to get your BA first. And then you can go back and get your teaching credentials. So we were like, but wait, that's more schooling now. And you guys don't pay much, so that's not fair, but that's what happened. So in that one year, I had to now get my BA, and then I had to go back to school and get my teaching certificate, and that's more classes, but then also your internship, so. Did you do it? Of course I did it, uh, yeah, but it was just a lot of But then you did it then. So you had to work, I mean, you're working and schooling, mm -hmm. so come on. Mm -hmm. You're still living with mom now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I was focused. So, like, I didn't go back to the UW and say, hey, I'm going to live in a dorm and I'm going to be partying. No, I went back to home, you know, went to work. I found the work at, like, a bank because as long as you worked 25, uh, 25 hours, you could have health insurance, which is what I needed, right? So, I would get up. I'd go to school. Um, I even found a job on campus because I had, like, this two, two-and-a-half-hour break in between classes and I wasn't going to go home because we lived in the south end of the city. So I worked at this job and if, there wasn't, if it wasn't busy, they allowed me to study. So I was like, okay, I'm getting paid. I'm studying at the same time. And then I would get done with that with school. And then by that time, then I would go to the bank and I'd work until, like, you know, eight or nine. And then when I was done with that, then from nine until whenever, study, get up, press repeat the next morning. And you're all of 21, 22? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no social life? I mean, a little bit on the weekends. Okay. A little bit. When, when did you meet Eugene? So when Eugene, I was when I was at Washington State. So I was still kind of, still partying, still having a little bit of the okay, time. Uh -huh. So yeah. When did you guys get together when you thought, hey, maybe we like each other? Oh, seven years after that, he said. Seven years after that. He was, actually, he was in Japan. So okay, so how? He got lonely and wrote you a letter or something? You said, hey, I've never been to Japan. <laughs> Come on, tell me the story. I want to hear. He, it was when uh, email had, had first come out. Okay. And so we would start, he was like, hey, there's this new way of communicating. It's called email. I was like, what is that? But where was he? He was here in Japan. And you were back there in Seattle? Yeah. Okay, all right. So but why was he writing you anyway? We always just stayed in contact. Why? Just because we were good friends. You don't want to tell your story? Listen, I'm trying my best to get this story out of here. Just a little bit of something. But, I, you know, I think that maybe we liked each other at a, a different level, but whenever I had a boyfriend, he would be single, and if he, would, if he had a girlfriend, then I'd be single. So the timing just never worked out. Okay. And then at one point, he, we didn't have a significant other. And he was in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he said, here, here's this new thing, this new thing. It's not letters, it's called email. Yeah. Communicated. And he got you to come out here? No, so then when he would come home a little bit more often, and so he said, hey, how about we just go out? I said, oh, okay. So we went out, and then that one time turned into more and more, and okay. then that's how it be we started dating. And by that time, we kind of knew because we had known each other for so long, so I didn't feel like there was that need to get to know each other, because right. we knew, knew each other pretty well. Okay. So you guys got together, then you decided, when did you decide you wanted to get married? Um, we started dating, so only like seven months later. 
Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So you said you need, both of you said, okay, no, no need to be messing around. Yep. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. If you're serious, let's do mm -hmm. it. That's wonderful. Yeah. So then you came to Japan with him after that? You got married, then you he was living here already. So he was living here already, and because we decided we wanted to make it formal then, he looked into seeing what other opportunities were at Microsoft back in the States. And so then he came in to Microsoft at the States here. So he, they um, moved him over. Okay. So and that's when you came with him. That's when you guys started. Where were your kids born? So they were all born, well, Yuki and Isaiah were born in Seattle. Okay. And then, um, so five years, in, no, we got married, and so th three years later, three years later, then they wanted him to come back as the expat, and that's when we came, and then we found out we were pregnant with Kayon. So Kayon was born here. Born here, right. Mm -hmm. And then you stayed, how many years did you stay here? For that time, we stayed for six years. Six years, right. Yeah, and then we went back to the U.S. for five years. And in that last year, that's when Adobe recruited Eugene out of Microsoft, mm -hmm. and they wanted him to come run the Japan office. And how long were you here? So yeah. for a year, that time, the kids and I were here between three, three and a half, and Eugene was here for four. Now, I know that you started a toy company yeah, or something a toy store. in between that time, yeah, right? Yeah, when the, the first time we were here. Okay, yeah. the first time you were here. So here, I would, I, would just, I would import the toys, and then I would just go to all the different international school fairs right. and sell. Had a web presence, it did well. And then when I went back, then I opened up an actual toy store. And that was great, we had a great time. Toys are still hard just because, um, and I think anything in e-commerce is hard just but because. But all your toys were educational toys. They were educational toys, right. and, but you have to convince people that they want educational compared to say a cheap plastic toy, which is cheaper, but it's not gonna be as durable, it's not gonna last as long. And what are the educational components? So I tried to take my education background and apply that to the products that I chose within my toy store. And yeah, we did okay. And then when we realized we were coming back that second time, it was just too hard to maintain the, the toy presence. Um, through that process, I still did not let my certificate, my teaching certificate lapse. So I constantly was always in school, constantly always taking classes so that it never lapsed. So I felt like you worked so hard for it, you don't want to lose it. So when we were done with that, then I just kind of kept working on it. And then the second time we came, I ended up coming back um, and doing more online classes and got a second master's degree that specialized in um, mediated learning, which is working also with students with learning needs. So not like um, disability, but learning. So for instance, like Eugene said, he hated writing and reading. There are kids who do phenomenal when it comes to their math and science, but say spelling is really hard for them or reading is hard for them. They could be dyslexic or just intertramposing the, some of the letters are difficult for them. So the way that I was trained is how do we go in and rewire how the brain thinks and we call that neuroplasticity as far as re rerouting the thinking process of those channels. So we go in and we, through mediated process, same thing that we're doing in the podcast, you're asking me questions and you're kind of making me focus in on what's, what part of my brain am I supposed to be extrapolating that information to give it to you, right? Sometimes a lot of that's not happening to our kids nowadays. You know, technology's changed and so different components of their brains aren't being activated and we call those dendrites. They're falling asleep, they're dying. But just because they're dying doesn't mean they can't be reawakened. We have to reawaken them through questioning, through, you know, interaction, through interpersonal and intrapersonal communication. And we don't get that because whenever we go to restaurants, what do we see? People are on their phones. They're not even communicating anymore when they're sitting down talking to each other. So that's like a rule of thumb that we have in our household is like while we're at the table, there's no phones. While we go out, there's no phones. You need to communicate. You need to talk to each other. You need to, you know, get to know one another on a personal Eye level. Absolutely. So. It's, it's lost. It's lost, and then we wonder why education is. That's what is, I do in my. That's what I do in my programs. Yep, and that's why I, I we're not that we're losing our generations, but 
It's, it's become, just, it's been, yeah. sadly what's happening though is that now, Eugene and I like to listen to okay. the, the Daily, the New York Times, the Daily podcast. So they did a two podcasts. One was the professors and the other one were the students. And now we're finding that kids are using it to now make their papers. Okay. The professors are just like, yeah, I get it for our entry level. So the prerequisite classes, yeah, you need some help. He said, but if that's your major, this one professor says, and this is what you want to major in, why are you having ChatGPT write your papers for you? How come I can't understand of who you are as an individual and you have to have ChatGPT come in and change up what you're thinking is in order for me to be impressed by your writing? He's like, I don't want ChatGPT to be impressed by my your writing. I want to know you as your individual. And then if you ask the other students, and it just goes to show our society, right? They say, and they all had valid points. One says, but I've, I've worked this hard to get to my education. Why should I let a computer make my decisions for me and write my papers for me? I shouldn't do that. The other one was like, at the end of the day, it's all about what grade you get. What's your GPA? How do you get there? And for my GPA and for my grade point average, that's the job that I'm supposed to get. So if they're gonna judge me on that, then absolutely, I need to come in and I'm gonna have AI you know, come at me. I'm also happens to be a black male. As a black male, society looks at me as saying, are you smart enough? Do you have the proper intelligence? Do you have the proper look? And if I can have ChatGP help me out on that, absolutely I'm gonna take that because society has already stacked my odds against me. So therefore, I need some additional help. And if I can get that help and they don't know anything about it, I'm working the safe system that's being given to me at the time. So it was just like, it was, kind of like wow you know when you look at where we are in society and where we've come to today that you have two extremes and they both make sense I think so I think so I think that this goes into so many different areas so where do you find yourself today Sherry <laughs> what are your focuses on today because you've been really taking care of the kids while they were growing yeah even and you and then later after they got to where they started, as soon as they started walking, you said, okay, you're good. Then you started your toy company. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just not I'm a just person to kind of be idle, I guess. It's, uh, well, how old were your kids when you started this toy, co toy company? They were pretty big, weren't they? Uh, not really. I mean, Kayon was two. Two years old when you started. So yeah. you had it that long. Yeah. How, how many years did you have the toy company? Twelve, I think, total. Twelve years, mm -hmm. okay. Because yeah. right. I just happened to stumble in on one of the fears that right. you were in, yeah, yeah. and I went, what are you doing? You had a whole booth set up and yeah, all yeah, these, yeah. So I said, whoa. whoa. No, it was fun. It was You're fun. very Definitely. quiet about what you do. <laughs> so how are people well, supposed to know? Well, I know. I, I Obviously, I need to work on that marketing aspect. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you seem to be doing okay then. <laughs> See, problem at all. You, just, you told the people they needed to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't in the need to know. Probably. Well. Yeah. So today, where do you find yourself? You're coming with your husband to his reunion. Mm-hmm. So now it's just, uh, I just took a break off from a, a year, a year from work, just kind of reevaluating what is it that I really want to do. I still do want to continue to work with students in that learning capacity. Um, but just looking at the school that I was at, I felt like I just wasn't reaching as many students as I wanted to. So my question is, how can I go about it to where I can reach, not to my audience, but I want to impact more students on a, on a, not a grander scale, but on a larger scale. So right now I'm just applying at different places. Like for instance, I'm applying at University of Washington within their um, different programs with their outreach that they have. Um, and just kind of taking my time and not saying, oh, jumping at that opportunity because that job looks great. You know, just 
saying let's work on the resume let's keep pushing and just kind of seeing what's going and um, being at home still the two of the boys are still at home they're kind of in transition they're not really sure what they want to do in how old are they now 19 and 20 okay yeah all right almost actually yeah but they're both in college then well one decided not to one opted out one opted out in the sense that he is really not redeciding, just kind of deciding where he really wants to go, what he wants to do. Keon's taking a gap year, so that's this upcoming year. And I feel like I just need to just be home a little bit more in that presence. I know people think, okay, when they're young, we need to be home. But as they progress through life, you see that the different stages and that, yeah, your role as a mother really doesn't change. Even though they quote unquote are adults, they- they are still their mother. Still the mom and they still have areas of struggles that they need to work on. So I'm just trying to help guide in a very, um, I don't want to say fundamental way, but in a very positive, but kind of hands-off way. Because the more I hand, hold their hand, the less that they're not they're prepared in this world. And Isaiah, as an example, is that we are saying technology is just like, we'll tell him, okay, you need to go do some research and figure that out. Well, I tried and I didn't get the answer. <laughs> okay, but you spent five minutes, you know? So like, if it takes you a couple of days or even a week, that's called sufficient research. So you gotta go figure that out. And then, but I want you to give me the answer. No, I'm not doing that for you because I'm not setting you up for success by doing that. And unfortunately, our children nowadays are so used to instant gratification from the phones and getting everything right then and right now that they don't have the patience and the wherewithal in order to say, okay, so I really gotta take a step back. I gotta slow down, I gotta pace myself, and I gotta figure out how I'm gonna go about this in the right way. That's beautiful. So that's what we're trying to do with them. You're doing it. Well, thank you. You're doing it, there's no doubt about it. Before I end the podcast, Sherry, there's a question I'd like to ask. Yes. You heard me just ask your husband. <laughs> I did. <laughs> if you could take all the knowledge you have now yes. and go back in time and meet the youngest Sherry, yes. how old would she be and what advice would you give her? If I were around the same time, around the mid to late 20s when we were here, and I think I was really too worried about what others thought of me. And I know that sounds funny because now people say I let it roll off of me, but that's because of all the mistakes and so forth that I have made to say, you can't be worried about what they think about you. You need to be constant about who you are and what you're gonna do and how you personify yourself out there. And so through those mistakes, that has made me the person I am and I'm totally okay and comfortable with that. And if you hear people say things about me, I'm, then turn around and look the other way. You don't have to look at me, right? You don't have to be around me. I don't need you as a friend. So I'm totally okay with that. And some people are like, Wow, like you say that. I'm like, I'm fully transparent. I don't have anything to hide. So this is me. If you don't like it, oh well. On that note, Sherry, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so, so much. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed. Don't let anything tell you otherwise. Thank you.